a Bulldog Radio podcast. The Ferris State Bulldogs have upset the nation's number two ranked team. Wide open, Taylor is going to take this one to the house. Touchdown, Bulldogs! It's the MVSP Season 4, Episode 39. Man, good to be back over the weekend. Huge weekend for Ferris State Athletics as well. Super Bowl went down. A whole lot of stuff was going on in the sports world, Brandon. We cannot wait to bring it to you. Absolutely. A loaded Ferris State sports review we have on deck for you as well as we'll break down everything that happened this last Sunday in the Super Bowl. Boy, what a game that was, Joe. Certainly one that it will have a lot to tell the tale moving forward. But first, we have a special interview coming up. Parker Nolan of Ferris State Women's Tennis stopped by to chat about the early start of the season as well as her success individually and as a team and certainly had a great conversation with her. Absolutely. So without further ado, do let's swing it into the interview now joining us in studio fair state tennis player parker nolan stopped by the show parker welcome to the show thank you happy to be here parker thanks so much i know you got such a busy schedule today but really appreciate you uh coming out into the studio first question for you big weekend sweep against hillsdale and Finley last weekend as well as a 4-0 performance for yourself can you just talk a little bit about how you thought the team handled coming off of a loss from last weekend as well as just getting a win on the road Absolutely. You know, we're in the team season now, so things are a little bit up in the ante. We're really excited. Um, we got the opportunity to play UIndy, uh, who's a top 10, top five national team. So the competition was really intense and we uh, got the doubles point, which was super exciting for the team. We really showed um, the skill that we have there and had some really good matches and singles. And so took that confidence into this weekend and we had a stellar performance. Uh, didn't get the doubles point against Hillsdale and really rebounded in singles. The team did great. Uh, Really tough match for me personally. It lasted a long time on court. And then Finley, we just had a great team sweep. It was a great weekend. Awesome. Absolutely. And you guys have gotten back into competition now ever since uh, Western back in January. But even since then, before that, it was all the way back in October you guys had played. How did it feel to finally get back on the court the last couple of weeks and finally get some competition under your belts? So awesome. We're in our mainstream practice now. So we're up in the 20 hours a week instead of eight. So we're back together on court a lot, really working on training both on and off court. And we're really in the grind now. Yeah, absolutely. And especially between doubles and singles, like obviously the main difference is there's an extra person, but getting ready for those type of matches, is there like a big difference that you have for yourself, like getting prepared for it? Or is it just kind of same old, same old? Oh, for sure. So doubles, we only actually play one set. So there's a lot less time to figure out the correct game style and where you want to actually target to get those points. So it's a lot of pressure to figure that out quickly. And I'm with an amazing doubles partner, Morgan Waller, who was CLIAC player of the year here a couple of years back. She's awesome. And game styles really match up nicely. For sure. Absolutely. And when it comes to, especially you guys just coming on the road from Hillsdale, I know from talking to coach Doran and that court's not necessarily the same as a lot of the other ones you see at the racket center and some of the other guys, places you guys play. Uh, but what does it come to when you go into preparation for a lot of these different venues as well? The court almost matters just as much as the environment around. Just talk about how you guys prepare for that, especially for playing for a lot slower courts like Hillsdale is as opposed to some of the faster courts that you guys normally play on at home. Absolutely. We have a notoriously fast court at the racket center, which matches up well for all of our players who have a more aggressive game. So going into Hillsdale, it was a lot of pressure to be patient and have some really long rallies and wait for the right ball to strike. And speaking of the racket center, it's kind of one of the only 
athletic facility is kind of off by itself. You know, is that kind of tough for the tennis team? Do you guys get to have a lot of interaction with some of the other athletic programs? Are you guys kind of more by yourself there, especially with uh, all the facilities that that place has to offer? Really interesting. You actually get a lot of athletes going there because it's not quite as crowded. You see a lot of hockey and football, but now that we have cap and we're working over there a lot more frequently, we get a lot more interaction with the teams, which has been awesome. Yeah. And especially within the team dynamic itself, I think tennis especially is one of the most teams that um, as far as when it comes to the whole demographic of the team, it is very diverse. You have a lot of international players as well as players all over the globe. You yourself from Washington. How'd you find your way to Michigan as well as being able to interact with a lot of these other athletes joining the team from all places of life? Wild. I know. Far from home for sure. Uh, Division two tennis is such a great opportunity to get a good balance between academic and athletic. So it's one of the only divisions where you can uh, pursue a medical degree. I'm in the nursing program um, and Ferris State has a renowned reputation for really building up their uh, tennis team and record and coming in after winning the GLIAC title. I was really excited to join the team. Yeah, absolutely. And especially a huge Florida trip is coming up for the team uh, in these next couple of weeks. You know, what are you most excited for that to be able to go down to Sunshine State and kind of get some much needed uh, vitamin D from the from the sun, especially since it's been so gloomy here in, in Michigan? Well, I mean, as a girl, I'm excited to hang out at the beach and get the sun and as a tennis player to get some really awesome matches and play some high level teams. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially when it comes to preparation, obviously when you're back here in Ferris and back at home, you have that set routine for home matches and you kind of have your whole routine when it comes to on the road, especially when it talk about long road trips as well. Um, it's just playing in a different place. What are some of those different, um, maybe not necessarily precautions, but different things that you might do in preparation that you might not necessarily do at home? Yeah, for sure. When we're traveling and you know, you're in the car for three, six hours, getting out and stretching and trying to get into that hyped up mindset to play is a little bit more difficult. So we're really particular about the music we play, running around a lot, joking around more, making sure we're sleeping in the car if it's necessary and just making sure we're rested and ready to get at it. Is there a particular playlist that's the the main jam when it comes to in the vans or the buses or is it kind of free for all? Depends on the day, depends on the trip. Well, we've got um, a couple girls from Mexico. So our team playlist has some awesome Spanish music. We get okay. a lot of dance music, just trying to keep the vibes positive. There you go. Yeah, vibes are always got to stay high. And we mentioned how you're from Spokane. I mean, talk about that recruiting story from coming all the way from, you know, uh, west side of the west side of the states. Now you're kind of the Midwest uh, with Michigan. How we kind of talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing the national circuit, so I was all over the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Idaho, Washington, and I got to branch out a little bit to other areas of the country. So I told my parents, if you know, if I can go anywhere for four years, it's going to be somewhere brand new and go out on my own a little bit. And Michigan was a good balance between not too far on the East Coast and. Uh, far away enough from home where I don't have to worry about them coming to watch my matches. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure the number one thing that you've probably uh, been asked is what's the difference when it comes to uh, being necessarily in the, the Pacific Northwest and then now coming to the Midwest as far as probably the number one thing people think of difference wise is the weather. How's that experience been like for you to go from a place that's notoriously very rainy and very wet to somewhere that's a little more dry and a little more cold when it comes to the winter months? Let me tell you, it is way colder here than in Washington. <laughs> I don't know if it's the wind or what. I'm used to the snow and the rain, but oh my word, waking up when it's in the negative degrees is something new. Oh man, that is tough. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a culture shock, but thank you so much for coming on. We got one more question for you. We ask every athlete, every staff member we have come on the show. What's been your favorite thing about being a Ferris State Bulldog and being in Big Rapids? The championship culture here. I think everybody strives for the win and it's just such a great place to be. So much fun, so much winning. I love it. We're glad you're here, Parker. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we wish you the best of luck at Tiffin and Walsh this weekend. Thank you, you guys.
Big thanks to Parker for stopping by the show. Certainly great to chat with her. And I mean, especially with all these athlete interviews, Joe, I mean, you get to see, obviously we've mentioned plenty of times before the other side outside of athletics, as well as in competition, but the way that a lot of these athletes think about the whole schematics of being an athlete, being a student, the whole life of being a college student athlete, especially when it comes to each specific thing individually. I mean, it's super cool. I mean, especially for me, myself, seeing what other athletes do. I mean, you're always taking and learning things. So certainly here, cool to hear from Parker's message. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the coolest parts about this podcast is being able to learn that with a lot of these athletes to just you know, what's the difference of them, you know, seeing them playing and stuff and what they're like on their personal lives. But once again, huge thanks to Parker. We're going to hop right into the Fair State Sports Review. Man, we're going to start off with hockey. I think first, Brandon, is that good? Yeah, let's go to hockey first. Certainly was a fun weekend weekend. of festivities uh, for sure. Definitely tough when it comes to the games themselves. But uh, before we start with that, the whole weekend on Saturday with Red Out, you guys were absolutely awesome. That came out over $4,000, almost $4,000 we raised for Women's Heart Health. Yeah, in the cardiopulmonary unit here in Big Rapids. Certainly was a blessing to put that on and the amount of support was Absolutely uncanny. Wild, man. So you guys crushed it. I saw the Reds everywhere the whole afternoon into evening for all the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was certainly just a cool day overall to be a Bulldogs fan uh, in and of itself. So super cool. And obviously hockey was the one that wrapped it all up. Probably the first one that's fresh in our minds and certainly the one we probably wish wasn't as fresh in our minds. It was a tough go. It really was a tough go against a good Bemidji State team. We played really well. We gritted it out that Friday game. We're able to get that win at the end. Mitch Dielstra, a.k.a. The Show, finishes it off with an absolutely beautiful goal in the final 40 seconds. Um, And then really just came out. The Beavers were ready to go. And that's not saying we were like just asleep at the wheel and just got skated on the ice, but they were definitely out energizing, outplayed us. And I mean, that's no disrespect to like the way, cause we played very well, but I mean, Bemidji, well, I shouldn't say that they played well, Bemidji state played very, very, very well. And you could tell that that team was determined to make sure that they leave Engelglaben without giving up six points. Yeah, that was a tough one. I've there was, and like the worst part about it is, especially in the second game, like it looks like it was a terrible game on our end, but three of their goals were kind of just puck luck. Just like with a bounce of, because Noah came in clutch with a lot of big saves. Like it doesn't, he got pulled after the second period uh, and Logan hopped in, but there was a point where like he made like two great saves and then just a rebound went Ari and it went right into the hands or right to the stick of a beaver. And then he just went and scored it. And it was basically wide open just by, you know, happenstance. So that's like one of the tougher parts is you look at the box score and it looks terrible, but it just doesn't give justice to how we actually played if you weren't there or just watching the stream or something like that. But yeah, it was not great. I mean, we had a chance to kind of solidify ourselves at number four as a four spot because we would have been at 36, but Midgey would have been at 31. They would have had to get at least get a sweep against Minnesota to be able to kind of have a chance this upcoming week. Now, though, we are playing Northern. Northern's been giving us fits all year. We'll have to sweep them or have we're going to have to hope that Minnesota State will at least get a sweep on Bemidji so we can get back above them and then maybe Lake State. I don't know. There's just a lot more variables that can go down now. If we won... The second game we got the sweep, it would have been a lot easier and a lot more manageable to stay in fourth. But now we're just going to be our backs against back against the wall, and we just got to really fight for uh, that home ice in the playoffs. Yeah, playing up in Beer is going to be tough, obviously, against a good Northern Michigan team, and then obviously Lake State is a team that always plays seemingly better uh, on our home ice than they do sometimes on their home ice, which is pretty ironic. But I mean, you look at the the stats after the game too. I thought really we stayed very disciplined. I mean, we didn't give up too many penalties the whole weekend. I believe only had eleven total as 
opposed to Bemidji. Uh, I think had 16, maybe even north of 16 uh, as a total, which we knew coming in. And we, I mean, we brought that up there uh, on the pre the pre uh, game show back last week. But mm-hmm. I think when you looked at how this game really went about it, you could tell like, and especially in the first couple minutes, we had some chances. Obviously, uh, Bemidji ended up scoring in that fourth minute with Leighton Rhodes goal. I mean, that kid is a fantastic player for the Beavers. He's going to be great for years to come. Um, and then Elias Rosen was able to sneak one by there um, at the 18th minute. And that really kind of put us in a hole, especially for how many chances that we missed. Because I think that's really the biggest thing that we mentioned with that whole game. I know being on on air with Harrison was like, we had all these chances and we had so many good looks. It was just one pass away or one deflection too many that really thwarted a lot of the offensive opportunities. But we had our backs against the wall a little bit. You could tell Bemidji was pushing the pressure hard um, throughout the entirety of the night. And that really fits for us across the board, especially neutralized. I think we gave the puck up uh, a little bit too much in open space. And Bemidji certainly made us pay in that category. Um, but I think you look at it. I mean, there's still some positives. Hey, Travis shouting his first collegiate goal and it was an absolute beaut. Uh, so that was really cool to see, uh, him finally get one in the back of the net. Brennan McLaren scoring on the power play. And that was, I mean, we won for five on the power play. That's a big improvement for, uh, what we've had so far this year. But I mean, Bemidji was even better. They were two of two after we had killed off their last eight straight against the Beavers in the other three games we'd played this season. So they finally got their luck back on the power play and we got just enough luck, but a little bit too little, a little bit too late. Yeah. I mean, especially we did pretty well with keeping it clean, only had to serve 10 minutes of power of uh, on the penalty kill, but, and and the thing is, Bemidji State had way more times where we had a lot more opportunities on the power play, but we just weren't able to get that one done. The worst part about it was we had a five-on-three opportunity. Like a second after that five-on-three ended, it went to five-on-four, we scored. Yep. So then that meant that we just go right to five-on-five. Five. And yep. it's like, if we were just able to get it two seconds early, we would have been, a, been able to have a chance of, you know, a minute 33, I think it was, that we would have had on the five-on-four. So yep. basically a full opportunity for the power play, but it was just little things where we couldn't capitalize when we needed to. And it just made the game a lot more tough to be able to overcome that one. So tough, but you know how it is. You know how it is. And I think the one thing too here to kind of wrap it up before we hear from coach Daniels was, mm-hmm. uh, Bemidji's lines one through four, I mean, played fantastic so, on the forward side. I mean, they I think also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. they also, their top, their top line on offense and their top line on defense, me and, uh, I forget his name. He's one of the guys who works for the hockey team. I hang out with him cause I do plus minus or whatever. And like we're on the other side, we added up those five or six guys are nearing 800 games of college hockey. Well, their top three line had near five. Their top line for offense nearly had 500 between the three. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. 800? They had so many fifth-year seniors on that team. Oh, my gracious. That's it's an NHL career, basically, right there. Yeah. What is that? One seventh? Wow. One, the lowest guy that I saw out of the fifth-year seniors that had games was like 125. Oh. Something like that. Just a just a little just 125, a 120, three seasons. That's that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. But that experience definitely comes into play. And I mean, that second line Bemidji has too with a lot of those freshmen. Uh, I mean, they they definitely have a lot of future room. But we do as well. I mean, you saw a lot of the great play uh, from this weekend, especially our top line. I mean, they've continued uh, to put the hammer down. Pokey, Branchon, Venuto, both those guys. Uh, I should say, getting points over that Friday game. Branchon, Venuto, uh, netting the first two goals for Dealster finished it off for us. Um, and I believe also that uh, Branchon continued his point streak moving in uh, on Saturday's game as he assisted, I believe it was McLaren's goal um, early on or later on in that third period. So 
I'll have to double check that one. But I mean, certainly one of those games where you just, it was, you knew it wasn't your night basically yeah. going on. And especially after that three minute flurry uh, where they ended up scoring three straight. And I know uh, coach Daniel said that it best tough. of just, it really was one of those games where you, you kind of knew it was kind of in the bag and obviously they didn't quit or anything of that nature, but you could just tell the momentum. Uh, I mean, they just had it going for them on that night and it just wasn't our night. And that's what he had to say in the post game press conference. You know, it's funny. I, we actually did get some, some pretty good looks and chances, um, you know, we were only one goal off of what we were last night. I thought where they were better, I, I thought they were really good in our zone. I thought they controlled play in our end a lot. Um, when they, when there was a loose puck, when, when the puck went awry, let's say a shot, they ricocheted in the corner. They, they were always on it quicker than we were, and they, they had much more jump. They, they just got to every loose puck first. They won every race to pucks. Um, and I, I thought... I, you know, I thought our defensemen looked really tired. It was a tough night last night, and I thought that they looked really tired tonight. Um, you know, and then we had partly, I think, sometimes it, it, it's just human nature, but you get to a point where you've gone three game, you know, you got, you're on a three-game winning streak, and you think you're bulletproof, and then all of a sudden you're not. Um, the three quick goals in the, in the second, like when they scored the third goal, the power play goal, um, and then those those two right away. We needed to we needed to stop the bleeding right then, and and we didn't. I you know obviously that 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 short time span where they scored three right away, you know that was the game. Yeah, it just was an absolutely devastating three minutes there, especially as a really tight knit fan. And I think really the the part about the defenseman being tired was also a great point too, because those guys play their butts off on Friday's game and really helped us down the stretch, especially when Bemidji tried to really get in front later on and they got that equalizer and they had all the momentum, but we killed it off with the good defensive play, a lot of huge stops. And then obviously Dielstra finished it, but uh, I think that definitely was one factor that we might've forgot about is man, hockey is a taxing game to mm -hmm. play those many minutes on the ice and eventually get to that point where now really when you go into the double header, it's really about being as healthy as much as you have a great play because yeah. you got guys that are playing good, but tired. I mean, that's going to negate over top over time rather than the other way around. So absolutely. well, we'll look over now at the CCHA scoreboard, Joe, obviously not the six we wanted to move firmly into fourth place, but still we're on the doorstep and a lot of really mm -hmm. tough matchups this weekend still showing some promise here for the dogs. Yeah, we got some chances here. Northern Michigan was taking on St. Thomas in St. Paul. They got the weekend split between the two. That's pretty big for us seeing that Northern is right behind us uh, at sixth place. And either way, uh, how this weekend could go could really switch up the standings. Northern Michigan 3-0 on uh, Friday. And then St. Thomas took it 4-2 on Saturday. Bowling Green took on Michigan Tech, two of the top teams uh, in the CCHA. Bowling Green came in, huge upset 5-2 win. In uh, in Houghton, that was a wild one, especially seeing, uh, I think, college hockey game day was there. Yeah. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. And Bowling, to Green to go in, Bowling Green to go in there and be able to get that upset, and especially in probably one of the toughest places to play in all of college hockey. That's big props to them. But Michigan Tech came back the next day, 4-2 to two win for the Huskies. It was a weekend sweep there. And obviously, you know how we did. It was 2-3, to three, big win for us on Friday, 6-2 to two, tough loss on Saturday. It's a pretty interesting standings now for the for the dogs. You know, we're sitting at fifth. We're one point behind Bemidji still, same as it was last weekend. Northern Michigan, though, is only five, six, six away from us. So if we get swept by Northern Michigan, Northern Michigan will be tied with us at four, at fourth place. And if Bemidji gets swept by Minnesota State this weekend, we will have three teams that are really going to be vying for that last weekend to see if they'll be able to have home ice or not 
We will see how that goes. It's going to be Michigan State with 34, us with 33, Northern Michigan with 27 points. Ooh, that's going to be tight. Interesting. Can't get swept. We cannot get swept. We can sweep. We, we can we sweep. Can. The biggest but thing can't get swept. The biggest thing is we need to sweep this weekend because that would give us a great shot. Because I don't think Bemidji's going to be able to beat Minnesota State because they got to go into Mankato. I think. I believe it is. Just in kidding. Mankato. They're in Bemidji. Oh, they are. Okay. I thought they played at Mankato earlier. I thought so too. Oh, yeah. I thought they. Yeah. Or no, they would have played at Mankato earlier. That would have mean they're now at Bemidji. Yeah. You know, my brain wasn't thinking quite right there, brain but not think you know, thoughts. it's okay. We figured it out. But anyway, moving on over now into men's hoops. Got a sweep over the weekend against Wayne State as well as Saginaw Valley State. Uh, Wayne State game took care of business. Obviously, uh, it was a dominant win when you look at the scorecard, being able to take them down. I believe 27 points was the final margin on Thursday. Um, great game all the way around. You saw them really play uh, great basketball. The offense was wasn't necessarily on fire as of early um, as we've seen in some other games overall this year. But uh, I think we definitely kind of woke up after they took the lead early in the first seven, eight minutes. Uh, But then we really put the pedal down, really got a lot of shots to start falling. We started penetrating a lot uh, and beating them on the glass. And I think that's really what helped their transition game. Uh, and I think that's really what kind of set us apart really when it came to that game uh, overall. I mean, we finished with 15 fast break points. That's one of the higher margins we've seen from this team uh, over the last couple of games. And I mean, 40 points off the bench, 44 points in the paint. I mean, those are two categories where if you're dominating in the paint and you're dominating off the bench, I mean, it just opens the floodgates as far as what you can do offensively. And that's why we filled it up for another 85 bomb. And that's how we got another win against a good Wayne State team that's still rebuilding, not necessarily as great, but they still are, certainly are improving and get to see uh, Coach uh, Coach Moan back again um, over at Wayne State. was certainly cool to see, uh, but certainly a good win for Coach Brockham and the crew uh, and certainly rode that over into Saginaw's game on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Ethan Erickson popped off. I mean, six for 11 from threes was nothing to shake a stick at. Light work. Yeah, light work, easy money. And then Solomon Regbu came in clutch with another 19 to put on top of that. So honestly, what a solid effort from the dogs from that day and it was able to carry over, able to get that, sacred 20 win season yet again. I think that's maybe the only other than the COVID year that Bronkoma hasn't had a 20 win season. Yep. I think so. Jeez, dude, that's absolutely wild. Yeah. That's dynasty type of material right there. But I think it definitely, when you saw, um, are you ranked? No, really? Yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> that choice. It's been certainly one of those years where a lot of these other teams have stepped up. But I think that's the problem. I think is the GLIAC doesn't have necessarily these front runners because us Parkside Northern at the top, we keep beating each other. So now mm-hmm. we're, we're negating our own resumes. Uh, and that's, there's not showing us as a nationally prominent team from this yeah. conference. And that's the hardest part. Uh, when you look at a lot of these other teams that are ranked um, that you look at and you're like, Oh, what, how are they ranked? But uh, because they're dominating their conference so prevalently that they're the one team that sticks out and that's how they find their way in um, with um, a much better conference record of like 12 and one or 13 and zero or whatever compared to us in the GLIAC, which is a much harder conference, by the way, mm-hmm. at 10 and four overall, uh, or 11 and five or 11 and four, I should say after Saturday's game, but uh, overall leaders in the Wayne state game, um, you saw a great, uh, a great effort there from Ethan Erickson off the bench, 20 points as mentioned, Solomon Oregbu with 19, uh, Dilapo Olinka, 12 boards at a really dominant game on the glass. Ben Davidson finished with 10 points. Michael Bingham had seven boards as well. Uh, Mari Lee had six assists to go along with his five points in four boards. Uh, and as well, Vias Grizzulis added seven off the bench for the dogs. So those are the leaders. And then kind of going over into the Saginaw game certainly was a close 
close one down the stretch. I got to get back in time for my meet, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit, just in time to watch the full duration of this one and a little bit of the end of the girls game as well, uh, which by the way, shout out to Chloe. I don't, forgot to mention thousand points. points. Oh my gosh. That Anytime. is, that is worth, you know, you, I, we got to do it. I mean, come on. A thousand points. That deserves a standing ovation. Well done for Chloe Idoni. Certainly had a great time having her on the show and seeing her success certainly has been awesome Huge. for the women's squad. And I believe there's also a record up for grabs this weekend as well. I think that Mallory McCartney is getting close to that assist record. So I have to be really? keeping an eye on that Dang. here moving forward. So you might have to look into that here uh, coming up on this weekend show, which we'll review that in just a little bit here on Thursday or Friday. Anyway, back to the Saginaw game. Up by seven at halftime. We were looking all right. It was certainly back and forth. We made a big run there at the end of the first half, able to kind of spread that lead out. Uh, but give Saginaw Valley credit. They really hung around. And I think the biggest thing that really kind of helped them um, was they were knocking down some tough shots. And obviously, Coach Bronco, I mentioned that uh, in the post game presser. But I mean, like some of those shots were literally two guys up in the grill on the outside three-point line, and they were just knocking down these insane shots um, from way outside the line. I think Giovanni Miles was one of those guys. He was, I believe, three of seven in the second half from three-point range. I think he was, uh, I think he had 12, I think, it would to lead the, the Cardinals in that second half, but those some of those guys had some tough shots. Freddie McIntosh, I thought for them, played a really nice game. He had 22 points. He was definitely the leading bucket go-getter. Um, but I think he was definitely matched to that really. I mean, thought the, the spread across the board of scoring was really something positive to see. Cause we've obviously seen guys like Ethan Solomon pop off, but seeing Ben Davidson getting 16, Delapo getting 14, you saw Bayes adding nine, Reese adding eight, Ethan having eight. And you saw that spread across the board was really something positive. Cause it really kind of shows how many dynamic scores we have. And I mean, really the, one of the best players on the floor, Jimmy Scholler didn't have a single point. I mean, defensively he was great. He picked up a couple of yeah, foul calls, but I mean, that's what it is. Um, but I think that you really saw um, the plethora of ways we could score the basketball in this game. And I thought that was a really positive thing. And I think still beating teams on the boards, man, that's one of the things we were talking, we've been talking about really the last couple of weeks. They've started to beat these teams on the boards, steal possessions. And I mean, that's huge. And that's not necessarily just from the big guys perspective. The guards are doing just as great of a job mm-hmm. getting on the boards and getting him. I mean, it's just a great thing to see when you got Mike Cal adding seven, you had Ben Davidson had seven boards in this game. You had Vass and Reese both adding five. Like those are what you need in a lot of these crucial situations, especially late in the game, that's what we saw. So I'm going to miss a shot. We got the board. We were able to knock down the free throws when we got fouled. And that's how he escaped with a five point win. That's what it comes yeah. down to it. Ben was Ben, I think hit like two threes in a row. And then he just called for the ball and just pulled up like NBA range with coverage from the face. logo. Yeah. And it like hit the front of the net or front of the rim. And I was just like, dude, if he hit that, the, the, the building, the roof would have blown off. Yeah. Because he was like, I was like, Oh, he check real quick because he's like him and Ethan tend to do that. Like if they hit like two or three in a row, they'll like basically just, all right, let's see if this one goes in and they'll just chuck it up because you know, it's in like, we have the insurance to be able to do that. But I was just like, dude, that was, that was a choice to pop that one up. And if that one hit, that would have gone wild, but still four for five from threes. That's huge. And he's able to really pick it up. I think he's been one that's been a pretty solid. Like, I mean, him and Ethan have kind of been switching off with who's made all the pop up as well as just like, they both have the same role in the game. Like they basically also, they both have the same pretty similar skill set when it still skill set. Yes. When it comes to driving and they are able to get some tough buckets there, but when on their off ball movement, they're able to get a lot of 
uh, open space and gets a chance from three. And that, that's that been the one thing that's been tough because once he come, once Ben goes off and Ethan comes on, it's like he's getting face guard all the time. Then when he goes off at the start, they kind of let Ben have a little bit more room and then it's going to be lethal. So that's been a r- really solid one-two punch. I mean, as well as uh, Solomon, or not Solomon, Delapo has really been like the yeah, spark. I thought he was probably the, one of the dominant players in this game. Because he's been able to come up huge with a lot of uh, defensive stops, a lot of rebounds. He's just been all over the place. And that's been one thing that like, I feel like has been a very, very solid uh, or been a big need for the team, especially since we lost so many from injury from this year and stuff like that. But Delapo and Delapo, Ben and Ethan, man, I'll let them cook it up because it'll be dangerous. Yeah, he's definitely a deep and dangerous team that were able to squeak it out down the stretch despite the Cardinals really throwing everything uh, that they we could we could handle at that point, uh, but barely because it was certainly a little bit scary. And uh, Coach Bronx alluded to that in the post game presser. And I think especially the one of the things that he mentioned was just being able to fight down the stretch despite not necessarily making some shots, being able to battle defensively and still come out on top was absolutely crucial for this team's win. Man, we did. They made big plays, big shots, and uh, they just stayed right there. Um, seemed like. We had about five possessions in a row where we could have put it to, you know, a three-possession game, and we just couldn't score. I didn't call the right plays. We just were a tick off, and, uh, you know, finally the lid came off the basket. We scored a couple buckets, and then it was just a free-throw contest. I thought we executed the free-throws really well um, and, and making them and then getting the ball in bounds in, in, in a secure way and a little offense for defense. So pr- proud of the guys when it, when it comes to that. Um, you know, Saginaw, some of those shots that they make, it hurts you double because you're all over them. You're draped all over them. And they still make it. So that's just the type of players that they are. And uh, was glad, glad to get this win. Big win for the dogs as they now move to 11 and four in the Gliak. Another 20 win season. So congrats uh, to coach Broncoma as well uh, on that dominant success. Certainly is worth mentioning, but we'll get here into the women's game here real quick. Will we get over to the Gliak scoreboard here once we're ready to go? Uh, but we certainly saw in the women's game. I mean, do- obviously a big win um, against Wayne State or uh, almost a big win against Wayne State. I should say uh, just a dr- really an incredible game down the stretch. Obviously got the one point loss, uh, which it, I mean, it felt like we were going to win that game. Like it was just one of those games where we had the dominant fourth quarter. We had all the momentum and we really, it was one, what, it, what would you say? One inch, two inch, yeah, not wow. even on those last two shots. And we would have won that game and we'd be in a position right now near the yeah. top of the, I mean, I don't know, man. It was one of those really, those heartbreaking moments because we had the opportunity uh, to win that game late down the stretch and just couldn't get two shots to fall. Two shots that we've made uh, now probably eight out of 10, nine out of 10 times in any other scenario. I'm not saying necessarily that our team's not clutch. I'm not saying that whatsoever. It just mm-hmm. was, it was just bad luck on the glass and that was what happened uh, in that final shot sequence. But Certainly was a tough game uh, all the way around. I thought really when you looked at both teams, I mean, what, I mean, Wayne State made like 45% of their field goals. We made 36 and we were still behind them by 2% in three-point range as well. They out-rebounded us, but we forced turnovers. That was the biggest thing that I saw in this game is we forced turnovers uh, and we were able to score off of them 20 points off of turns, um, 16 points on the break. I thought that was absolutely huge. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think you look at this game any other than we would have won that game or the way that we played in the fourth quarter. Just simply ran out of time. 
Yeah, if we had like maybe a minute more, I feel like we would have won that one. Weirdly enough, on the third and fourth quarter, it was just flip-flop scores. Yeah. yeah. What is Wayne it with scored, these? Wayne scored 23, we scored 14. And in the fourth quarter, we scored 23, and then Wayne scored 14. What is all these like symmetrical scores that we've yeah, got? Yeah, we had the they scored 18, 18 each quarter yeah. one time, and then we have this little number. That's weird. That is like, that's peculiar. Like, that is so weird to think about how like ironic and how like improbable that is at the same time. But uh, overall, box score from that game, leading score uh, for the dogs was Deshaun Day. She had a great game, 16 points um, for the dogs, as well as Chloe Idoni added 14, as well as six rebounds, 13 for Al Irwin with her four rebounds and three steals. Uh, Mallory McCartney added six assists, five boards with her eight points, um, as well as Kenzie Bowers with five and six boards. Uh, uh, rounding out the starting five for Ferris State as well as Big seven time. points off the bench from Grace Sullivan, Amako Unabagua, and Mia Riley. But moving into that Saginaw game certainly was another one right down the stretch. And it's just really, it's just one of those tough games where I was listening to it, especially uh, with Robin Sandy on the college. They did a great job, by the way, um, in the fourth quarter. And it was just one of those games where we just got into a deficit early. I mean, 16 after a quarter, that is tough to come back from. Absolutely tough. But we still kept chipping and chipping away, and we were answering every shot in that fourth quarter, and you could see it by the scoreline. It was an absolute scoring fest in the fourth quarter. I believe 62 combined points in that fourth quarter, 31 apiece from either team. No team had gotten even close to that outside of Saginaw's 26 points in the first frame, or even half for that matter. Uh, Our highs was 16 in the second. That's barely halfway there. But I think you just saw that game uh, became a really crazy basketball game, and I think really you look at how that game progressed. And I think we really answered a lot of the punches. We gritted our way back. Um, but simply they just matched us down the stretch. We kept matching each other. And when you're down with the deficit, unfortunately that's going to put you on losing end nine times out of 10. Yeah. And then one thing too, dude, they had three people in 20 digits. Holy crap. Yeah. They have a lot of good scores. Oh my gosh. That's wild. But yeah, it seemed like the whole game, like it was weird because like I was up in the deck with like Cedric and a couple of other people we work with. And I was just like, at the end of the game, like in the fourth quarter, like we were pretty close. Like I think we brought it in with what two within two or something like that. Um, and I, I was like, well, I think it was maybe three. I want to say down the street. Yeah. I'll double check the you energy. The energy was just kind of off because I was just like, it feels like we should be down by like fifteen right now. We shouldn't be like within three because right off the start, we just kind of felt like we were just backpedaling the whole time, which was the unfortunate part. And even like if we didn't have to foul at the end and stuff like that, they kind of pulled away with that, but. At one point, they were just where we would have had to make just one basket and would have been the big difference maker, but we just couldn't really pull that down. I mean, they were going crazy. Their their bench player hit like three threes in a row or something like that, and their energy was just wild. But I'll I'll be honest, it was weird because I thought we were down by 20 in the fourth quarter, and I looked up and I saw the score. I was like, how are we down by four right now? Yeah. I was like, even the fans too, it just felt like we were just kind of off. Yeah, and it certainly felt like the life got sucked out of you in the first quarter. That was definitely the feedback that I heard uh, when I entered the game and kind of talked about it with some people. It was just one of those kind of games where you were like, man, this just, the energy on this game does feel off. I think, Joe, you're not far off by saying that because I think a lot of people felt that um, based on the feedback and basically what I saw when I got to the arena. But it was 74 to 70, the Joe, that time that Joe was talking about after Chloe made her pair of free throws with 41 seconds left. That was the closest deficit down the stretch. 
much because we we built it right back, got back in the game, and uh, it certainly that that it, it really stinks when you see all these teams playing so well down the stretch. They're figuring it out. They're finally clicking, and it's just not enough to really chip back for what you had in the you know really bad first ten minutes. And that's really all that came down to this game because I mean you take away that first quarter, we win that game, and we win it I believe by seven. So that's basically what you see coming out of this. It's just. The 16-point deficit, just it's hard to come back in those kind of games. And Coach Westendorp said it best. I mean, the team fought, especially down the stretch. But at the end of the day, you can't put yourself in that big of a hole and expect to come back and win that game. We fought, we scratched, we clawed. But, you know, when you're in that big of a hole, you can't You extend all your energy. And I feel like we've had to say that a few different times where we've had these holes that we've had to climb out of. And we seem to do a good job with our determination and trying to fight out of those. But it, it just becomes too much when you're playing against a team that has players as talented as they have. You can't be ch- chasing them all around for the last quarter. You know, when we played defense the way that we wanted to in that third quarter, you know, you're able to hold them down. But then the second, once we get to the fourth and you're still down, you know, eight, 10 points when I got to start running and trapping and doing different things. And as soon as we had to do that, then it just became a track meet of they score, we score, they score, we score. We weren't able to put enough stops together with how much we were scoring. If we could have gotten a few stops there, it could have got really interesting. But, you know, fourth quarter, 31 to 31, you know, not anyone was stopping anyone. Yeah, it certainly felt like one of those kind of games. And certainly I feel for Coach Westendorp and his team because, I mean, they've kind of been on a little bit of a losing stretch here. But it feels like they've played so much better basketball uh, than it really has shown in the results column. I mean, lost three of the last four. And I mean, especially uh, the Wayne State game in heartbreaking fashion. We could have easily won that game. Uh, But I think it really just came down to the fact of, we just got to be able to start these games a lot faster and start a lot more swift. And that's really what's dug us in a hole because uh, we've played the best second half of basketball, but you can keep even with a lot of these teams and then make that run in the second half. I mean, you're going to talk about potentially us winning three out of the four games, even maybe four out of the four if you count the Parkside games. So, uh, but that's certainly uh, a tough pill to swallow, but they'll try to make it back. Both teams will be uh, taking on Lake State on Saturday. We'll preview that as well on the rest of the show. And if you want to hear more of these interviews, make sure you tune on uh, to the Ferris Athletics YouTube channel or as well on fairstatebulldogs.com to hear the full interviews from the coaches as well that we use on this show. Can't be more thankful for the partnership we've had with them as well. Oh, but, show. But before speaking of track and field, I'm glad that Coach Westnor mentioned that because that made me feel a smile inside. But anyway, Gleak scoreboard, Joe. A lot of crazy results this week. A lot of stuff went down. We're going to start with the men's one because we skipped it on accident. Then we'll get into women's. But Thursday, February 9th, Saginaw Valley lost to Lake Superior State, 83-72. to Lake State is kind of making some noise now on the men's side. Yeah. Uh, Northern Michigan beat Davenport 81 to 64. They're continuing their quest to try to get number one in the GLIAC. And then Grand Valley State kind of making some noise here. They had a really rough patch in the first part of it, but now they're starting to make a little bit of a run. 79-74 win over Michigan Tech at Grand Valley State. So huge for that. Uh, I guess huge for them, not huge for us. But and then Saturday, Michigan Tech lost to Davenport 77-71. They weren't able to get a win over the weekend at all, continuing their little skid that they have for this season. Lake Superior State beat Wayne State 76-59. Grand Valley beat Northern Michigan 81-75. A little bit of an upset there. Yeah. And then Parkside kept it going against Purdue Northwest. They won 77-66. That one's going to be kind of interesting, especially when you look at the standings so far, because Parkside is still sitting at the top, 11 and three overall, or right behind at 11 and four. But between Northern Lake State, Grand Valley, and then I guess you can toss in Saginaw Valley. But between those one, those three teams, they're only about a half game back from each other, and they're only about one, uh, and then one, well, one game back from us, and then two games back from Parkside. So this last weekend, depending on what happens, these last two weekends. 
maybe some uh, some noise can be made there. But hopping into the GLIAC uh, scoreboard for the women's side, Saginaw Valley won against Lake Superior State on Thursday, 57-46. Northern Michigan beat Davenport 73-55. to Grand Valley kept things rolling and staying number one in the GLIAC at 60-43 to over Michigan Tech. Whoa. When Wayne State beat Lake Superior State, or sorry, Lake Superior State beat Wayne State, 72 Ooh. to 62. A little bit of a switch up there. My bad. And then Grand Valley State won again, 64 to 52 over Northern Michigan. Michigan Tech beat Davenport, 63 to 48. And Purdue Northwest lost to Parkside, 87 to 75. Wow, interesting. That was yeah. a dominant win for GV against yeah. Michigan Tech. That was an upset game from earlier on this year when the Huskies took them down. But still, big time bounce back mm-hmm. there for the Grand Lakers. Valley's like 22 and 2 overall. Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, that gets you nationally ranked for sure. (laughs) I want to look this up. Division two women's basketball ranking. They're in the top five. I know that for sure. I think they're probably hovering around three or two. I don't think they're number one Uh, though, because I think there's some other, like I think Ashland is up there um, in win loss as well. Former GLIAC team in the GMAC that's really wreaking havoc so far, but. I think when you look at the standings too here, um, I think when you look where we are at, we're seven and eight right now on the women's side. Obviously, the men only half game back of Parkside, so hopefully we get a win against Lake State, and then hopefully we can get some upsets against Parkside to get back on top. But uh, I think we're still in a good spot. I mean, you look at seven and eight; that's not the greatest record uh, in the GLIAC, but we have a lot of better records than some of these other teams that are ahead of us. Uh, and overall, we just haven't got it together in some of the conference games this year and went on a couple of skids, which that happens in basketball. That's what happens. I know I've been there. Joe's been there. Everybody that has played basketball. Or any sport in general uh, has been there. So it's just a little skit and that's, you just got to find a way to break it up uh, and get that rhythm going in the right direction. But I mean, we're only a half game or excuse me, a full game behind Northern Michigan, as well as only uh, two games out from Saginaw, which if you think about it, Joe, we're only two games out from Saginaw right now. Obviously Saginaw's playing really well, but if they start to have a slump here, now you're talking, we still got a couple games to go. We can win out Northern Michigan, lose a couple games. Oh, now we're talking in fourth spot and we're hosting first round. So mm. that could be very interesting. Plus we haven't played, we have, we've played pretty well on the road too. So, I mean, either way, I think we're in good spot. You just want these last three games, especially coming up against Lake State, going into Davenport and Grand Valley. You want to be on the right foot moving forward, get that momentum so you can start winning these games, especially down the stretch going to postseason play. Absolutely. That one's going to be an interesting shakeup, especially as a lot of these uh, winter seasons are kind of starting to come to a close. Absolutely. So moving now over into tennis here, uh, big wins over the weekend, men's and women's combining for a four. And I believe it did the math 24 to four was the total pointage that uh, the Dang. tennis team won by. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Okay, 24 to four. So uh, men started it all off with a sweep against Hillsdale dominant uh, performance there, um, which you can check out in my recap from the Fair State Torch. Shameless plug over to there. Um, when I was writing the recap, found out um, from Coach Doran um, that there was an upset um, in, I believe it was singles play. Um, and that was a really notable one, especially top 15 player in the country, um, in division two in singles that uh, plays for Hillsdale. And, uh, his name, um, is Brennan Kimpow. If that's how I pronounce it, if not, I apologize. Tried my best, but Eric Kovacs pulled up the upset, um, against Kemp now in three sets and booting in a tiebreaker third set. Um, so gr- really glad to see that. And that ended up getting the seven, nothing sweep. Uh, and that was the first win I believe in Hillsdale since 2016. So congrats to our 2017 for Coach Doran's squad. Uh, women's finished it up as well, getting um, a, another away win, dominant fashion. Um, I mean, especially for how well they've played and the depth shown by each team. And I think that's the biggest thing. And obviously we heard that from uh, from Parker earlier on in the show in the interview is it's just really one of those 
it's one of those things where you kind of take for granted how good these teams are when it comes to these some of these talented players that are playing every other week or you can move one through four all these matchups around and you're still getting that amount of success. It's impressive to see. Um, but a 5-2 win against the Chargers down in the Dale um, and really after losing the doubles points, Still brought it back a couple third set tiebreaker wins. I mean, that's huge for the program, as Joe used to say all the time. Will still does, I guess. I still do, but I feel like now I've like more people say it than me. I, I know. I, like, I didn't want to like keep beating a dead horse when I would say it. So I really don't say it as much. But everybody like once Harrison said it at the GLI, I was just like it's okay. sticking. It's sticking. It's sticking, but like I'm not saying that as much anymore. Right, but uh, still, it's still a notable phrase. So exactly. uh, dominance across the board um, from that Hillsdale match, and then really brought that over into Finley's matches on Saturday and Sunday, um, especially with the women's able to sweep in doubles. Um, the Hernandez Ferrer twins winning the number one pairing, as well as Waller and Nolan winning the number twos. Davida and Lavrider uh, winning the third pairing, as well as a full sweep. Almost in singles, except for the six pairing that led to the six one final score. Um, when you look over at the men's, pretty much the same ordeal, only difference there uh, as opposed to uh, the women's, um, was you saw a small scratch in the pairing of number five as opposed to six, but same double sweeps cross sports, six out or five out of six individual uh, singles flights wins. I mean, that's all you can ask for really when it comes down to it. Obviously you'd love seven to know, but uh, Finley's also a very good squad on both sides as well as Hillsdale. So those are certainly some big regional wins, being able to pick up the wins on the road and at home. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of the dominance from a lot of these older guys that have been there. Yannick Madur as well as Jan Kapoor and then Benjamin Lordy as well. And then you're seeing a lot of these freshmen coming in there as well um, that have made some noise and have really picked up some big needed depth for these teams here moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you look at who's coming up, especially in the schedule now and kind of when you have uh, Gleax kind of coming up pretty soon, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you got Tiffin Walsh. Tampa is one of the teams that I'm interested to see how the teams uh, go up against. I think it's just women's that's playing there, isn't it? Uh, just women's, um, I believe. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, they're all heading down to Florida for the spring break games, yeah. I'm sure, like a lot of other teams. Uh, but I think Tampa's, a, if I remember correctly, Tampa's a good team. Uh, I think is it Texas Tyler's also a good team that they've played in years past. Not quite sure if they're heading back there immediately. I haven't looked that far ahead yet, but... Uh, I think there's still a lot of great competition down there. They're going to see a lot of top national ranked teams down there. So yeah, that's going to be sure. a good trip for we them. We still got a while until Gleak start up. I think at the near the end of March is when that's going to go down. So a lot more uh, tests to come, especially with you know those Florida teams that get to play outside all year round instead of just indoor at the racket center like we get to. But you know I think we'll be able to do pretty well, pretty fair, fair pretty well. Absolutely, some great results from tennis. We look forward to seeing their success. Uh, continue this weekend against the Dragons of Tiffin, as well as uh, sick Walsh. Yes, Tiffin is the top teams in GMAC, so that's going to be a tough contest uh, down there, um, as well as Walsh going to be coming up on Saturday as well. Finishing out the Ferris Stage Sports Review here, track and field um, was in action over the weekend. Big Meat um, was certainly living up to its name. Uh, lots of people there, uh, you could say. Uh, the full two-day slate uh, uh, certainly threw a lot of us at a curveball especially myself, not used to running at 8.30 in the morning. 
as opposed to 9 p.m. from what the last race was. But that was certainly an interesting adjustment. First 5K uh, of the season, the books for me got a PR, not what I really wanted. I wanted a lot more, but still, you got to be happy with the PR and you can move on. A couple guys also in that category as well um, from the freshmen as well as the upperclassmen improving. I mean, a lot of the a lot of these guys certainly have done fantastic of uh, just continuing to improve race after race. And that's been certainly uh, a much noted thing to see, uh, especially over this over this really huge meet altogether, which is called big meat, which is ironic because I was actually looking up at some other meets around the area. Uh, and I was actually looking over at one of the meets that was held over Mankato over Minnesota state. You want to know what that one's called? What's that one? Massive meat. There's no way that's Massive not correlated, meat. right? <laughs> I'm sensing a ripoff here and I think that's something we need to investigate. But anyway, so yeah, there's goes with the M's like Minnesota, Mankato, Minnesota, Massive meat. I mean, it makes sense, but I mean, that meat is not as established as Grand Valley's big meat. Do you think they're trying to one-up Grand Valley? I think that's some that we need to investigate. Anyway, but beside the point, I thought that was pretty ironic, though, because you know for a fact those have to be correlated. If not, that's the craziest coincidence I've ever seen. But anyway, some other notable uh, performances from the invite uh, meet from Friday as well as Saturday. Emma Stefan was 8th in the weight throw. Uh, Winnie Farrell 14th in the 5K with a sub-18 time. Congrats to her as well. Um, you saw a lot of great things uh, overall, I think, from especially a lot of uh, the mid-distance crews as well. Abigail Winkle was 11th in the 400, ran 58.9, a good time for her, um, as well as Whitney Fur was 11th in the 3K. Domnelli Fels-Posh finished 12th in the 800 with a 221. Uh, seventh in the 4x4 were the women. Uh, I believe the men were, I believe, fifth, if I remember correctly, um, in that race as well. Tariq Brett was 14th in the 60. Ralph Donaldson was 16th, as well as Andrew Shaffley finished 17th in the 800 meters at 156. Look out, folks. I believe he's only two seconds off the top five all time in indoors. So he's creeping Damn. up there. Uh, Kyle Juryard fifth in the weight throw. Bryce George had his debut in the shot put and did very well. Um, Donis was third in the 3K, 827.7. Fantastic time for him. David Duvall fifth in the long jump. Aaron Pierce finishing seventh just behind um, as well as Claudia uh, Wilkinson finishing eighth in the invite high jump with a 411.5. So there you go. Those are some of the notable ones. Also, a shout out that one's not on here. Uh, Ethan Hamilton, good roommate of mine, finally broke two for the first time in a long time. The man has been battling the health bug like I have for the last two years. Being able to finally see him break two is definitely worth noting as well. Casey Bauman uh, and Brendan Canary breaking the nine mark in the 3K was certainly cool to see. As well as Ryan Osaski broke, uh, and Austin Savage both broke the 16 mark on the 5K. That's pretty impressive for them as too. Program's still building, man. They're still going up and up, and I love to see it. Uh, and we'll be back in action on Friday at the Saginaw Tune-Up before the big one goes down, down in Saginaw for the GLIAC Indoor Championships. So that's the Veris State Sports Review. We got Super Bowl now coming on deck here, Joe. We yes, made sir. our picks last week. Obviously, Joe getting the the win on this one. Almost close on the score. I had to double check after the game because I knew it was close when you said, I think you said 33-30. I believe it finished 38-35. So you were right on pretty close there with the score. You were pretty close too with it, weren't you? Uh, I went lower. I think I went 27-24, I want to say, with the Eagles. But, I mean, this is a game that, boy, the Eagles, they pushed it that first half. But, boy, the Chiefs. Made absolutely perfect adjustments during that second half. The pass rush was really thwarting. Well, maybe not necessarily just the pass rush. I thought the front seven played really well for the Chiefs. I thought they were able to get to Jalen Hurts, get him outside the pocket, but not necessarily that. But the backers able to really take away the flats, couldn't let him run as much because Jalen Hurts played a great game. 
but they just couldn't make plays down the stretch when they needed them to. And I think there was a lot of times where that Chiefs defense, as much as we hate on them all year and as much as Patrick Mahomes does what he does, I mean, that defense, still don't, they show up in some of these big games and it's worth noting. Yeah, they played really solid. Also, Jalen Hurts, like he let it fly or tried to let it fly at the end of the game and he came up like 20 yards short. I know, that was brutal to watch. I know he threw it from like his opposite 30, but like as a, as a receiving group, like you can't, you can't expect your quarterback to huck it 75, 80 yards in the air. No, that was pretty sad. I won't lie. Cause you were like, okay, what are they going to do? They're going to lateral. The, it's like, he's going to throw it. And then well, it's like 25 yard line. Bah, bah, yeah. bah. Well, I knew like wow. he had the time I feel like to run it, but I was just like, you either had to make a decision right away to try to maybe get like a scramble and try to get outside or something. But like they also didn't have any timeouts. So it really wasn't much they could do, but dude, I'm telling you that what was it? The, what was the call at the end? Because it was like third and long. You're talking about like the that. holding. Yeah, the holding call or whatever that like basically gave Kansas City another chance or whatever. Yeah, it was that third down. Yeah. Script writers, man. Script, Script writers. writers. Script writers are just loving the Chiefs this year. Yeah, I mean, when you looked at it in this way, I, I saw this real time and I was like, mm, this is not a great call. It is by book a good call. There was holding because the jersey was grabbed. It was noticeable and it prohibited one of his earlier lateral movements. Obviously, discrepancy of what you throw in that situation is what we're obviously arguing. How much is it actually a penalty flag? That's the question of here. I don't think the officials honestly did a bad job in this game. I thought that call is definitely going to stick out, and obviously a lot of Eagles fans are going to be upset, um, and I'm certainly an understanding of that, but I think when you looked at this game as a whole, I mean, the Eagles outgained the Chiefs in yardage, and I think the time of possession, I think this was the first time um, a team has lost a Super Bowl with having at least, I think it was like 37 or 38 minutes of possession. I can't remember what the exact numbers were, um, but this was the first time that a team has lost. Dom pretty much absolutely dominating the time of possession, which I thought was very interesting because you really necessarily haven't thought about that category. But when you look back, you're like, yeah, the Eagles had the ball a long time, uh, but the Chiefs made a lot of great adjustments in the second half. I thought the Eagles pass rush looked pretty porous. They did not really give Patrick Mahomes a lot of fits. And I think that's really what hurt them in the long run, especially in the second half is Patrick Mahomes had time to carve him apart. And even though he didn't, he only had 182 yards, those three touchdowns were absolutely huge. And I thought Isaiah Pacheco had a fantastic game. I mean, he had 76 yards a touchdown. He had five yards a carry. And those were huge yards. I think those were huge yards because just especially in the second half, when he was just a human bowling ball rolling through that front seven of Philadelphia was sending a message. And that, I think, definitely got the pass game going, got play action rolling, and it really helped this team just get through and down the stretch. Harrison Butker hit the field goal. And pretty much by then, especially after that holding call, you knew it was pretty much over. Yeah, there was probably not going to be a shot. It would have taken a miracle to be able to do that. But shout out Nick Bolton, man. He almost had two scooping scores that one. Man, he he's brought good. back. That was, I mean, that's just right place, right time. But the first, I will say this. I don't know what Jalen Hurts was doing that one time because it looks like he was going to like tuck it in. And then he just like threw it at his foot basically and like kicked it away. I was like, dude, what are you doing, man? That turnover it made, was it made brutal. No, like, that was like, that really just took a lot of like the window of the sales for the Eagles, I feel like, because especially after the first, like you get both teams score first, uh, first drive. And I was like, okay, the shootout's for real. It's going to be like a 40, 40 to 45 game or something like that. Something wild. And then it goes into the point where now we're like, Philly's got to kick it. They fumble. It's a touchdown. Like that's that's the main reason why there was such a big disparity in time of possession is because the Chiefs' defense came up clutch and scored one. But like, 
there were just a lot of times where Eagles had a chance to really make some noise and get a chance to go ahead, especially when, uh, what was it? When I think it was when the chiefs brought it like 20 to 17 or something like that. Uh, it was, what was it? 24 to 14 at half. I want to say or yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, it was 20. Yeah. 24 to 14. But then when Kansas city came out and scored seven, I was just like, yeah, this is, they had a lot of momentum coming out of the half. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. They Philly's got to come up big in the fourth quarter. And that's where they really lacked was just being able to complete anything in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You definitely saw that the adjustments made. Uh, by the Chiefs were well noted. I thought Andy Reid did a fantastic job uh, calling that game, especially for how it kind of, it seemed like they were going to get a little desperate and really they never really left their identity. They continued to, and continued uh, to run those play, those really, not necessarily those play actions, but kind of those RPO calls at the line of scrimmage where they would, they would really bring Pacheco in and it was really kind of up to Mahomes at that point, reading the box. And I thought they did a great job of decision-making because it looked like every single time that they made some sort of motion, especially on those two touchdowns, Kadarius Tony's touchdown and Sky Moore's touchdown. You saw that motion was screwing that that secondary so bad. And that's why, especially on those two, notably touchdowns, those two guys were wide open on yeah. those plays. They I, don't know what the, I don't know what that secondary was doing. Yeah, because once they, they motioned in, that whole defense started that shift because that was one of the first mm-hmm. times when they got the matchup on that first touchdown <clears> against Kelsey they started biting back inside of, oh crap, here we go. Now he's back inside and we're moving up. Now who's the switch on? And then you run one guy forward, you run him out on a pick and now we one over and one on the outside. Yeah. And no one was there because well, everybody came back especially, inside. Especially on, on that Tony one, like Slay should have picked him up, but then they just double covered Kelsey. And I'm just like, what are you doing? You're leaving, mm-hmm. like nobody else is on, on the right side. You're leaving that whole, basically a 20 yard surface area. Like it's 20 square yards are just wide open and all, uh, Mahomes has to do is make it so it's in the general vicinity of Kadarius Tony making the catch. And then that was just something that was really stupid. But shout out Chris Stapleton hitting the under. Yeah, Chris Stapleton hitting was the not, under. <laughs> was not, I was expecting him to like go way over that prop because it was like, what, 203 or 204 uh, for the national anthem bet. That's the one thing I love about the Super Bowl is just the weird bets that get going on. Yeah, the Gatorade plus 800, Gatorade, I think yeah. it was after, and which was wild because they never showed the Gatorade dumping because yeah. all they showed on the camera Conspiracy. was him absolutely dumped and you were like, Wait, what color was it? What color was it? Oh my gosh, the world's going to oblivion. And then it was like, oh yeah, it was purple. And they're like, Really? (laughs) But somebody probably hit big on those ones. But uh, certainly probably a lot of people spent some money last night. And certainly, hopefully. At the Super Bowl party I was at, we all had our phones out time in the the thing. I had a buddy who bet the under. He put like 200 bucks on the under. Whoa. Yeah. That's a big win. That's a big win. win. Big win. Big time. Big for the program. There's some other funny prop lines that I saw too. Like one of them was uh, Jason Kelsey snaps versus Travis Kelsey's receiving yards. Oh. Who's going to have more? Oh, that's interesting. I that would probably be pretty close. I didn't see the outcome of it, but as long as uh, as long as he got more than what? How much did Travis Kelsey get? 81? 81 yards. Oh, and Jason Kelsey probably definitely beat him with that most likely. I think right? so, yeah. Right? How many plays do they have? I have no clue. Uh, that'd be very interesting. Scoring drive time versus national anthem length was a funny one. Was a real <laughs> runner with that. That is funny. Super Bowl prop bets for MVP speech first acknowledgements. That is, that's just teammates were at minus one thirty five. God was at plus one fifty. Even six, even a plus sixteen hundred bet, sixteen hundred that a player mentioned something other than the top six options. What the heck? city family members? That's everything like that. Bonkers. We have all of these 
it's just bonkers. We have legitimately all these different these different prop bets in the Super Bowl that are just so obscure. You're like, what? What team cars? <laughs> what Drake wear? What was the what was the color for Rihanna's uh, Super Bowl uh, outfit? outfit? Yeah, that's just bonkers to think about. But it feels like a national holiday. Super Bowl is. Which yeah, it really I, is. Be- I firmly believe I'll die on a hill for this. That the Super Bowl, the day after the Super Bowl, that we need. Two-hour delays for all school systems because it is absolutely brutal when you stay up that late to 10, 11 o'clock as a kid, and then you have to wake up at 6 in the morning yeah. for the bus ride, and there you're just some of the, There are some of the videos that I saw on like TikTok and stuff. It was like, don't expect me to do nothing. I'm going to be worthless on Monday. <laughs> Literally. And that's not just because of like lack of sleep, too. It's just lack of focus because you watched a really good game, and you're just that's all you have on your mind. And I've been there and done that. Uh, when it comes to that stuff, and it's just it's just really hard to concentrate, man. But yeah. uh, still, certainly a fun weekend of the Super Bowl. Uh, congrats to Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you got to acknowledge how great Patrick Mahomes has been. As much as we hate all of his success, unfortunately, yes, yeah, it has certainly been an impressive run um, that he has had for many many years now. The first five years of his career have been spectacular. Yeah, and what is he, it? Two Super Bowls, three, two MVPs, three or two Super Bowl MVPs. Yeah, like and then. Uh, NFL MVP. I mean, Jeez, that guy's just on a mission. But be very interesting now as one his competitor has lost the game. He's now going to be taking a time off here to try to catch Tom. So he's got some work to do, but he definitely got one step closer. He's got 10 years, man. After yesterday. So going to be crazy. Going to be wild to see where the NFL goes from here. Offseason is upon us, believe it or not. We'll have the USFL, XFL coming up. NFL drafts Michigan will still Panthers, be. Panthers, baby. The Michigan Panthers. Houston Roughnecks. Those are my two teams. Those are the two teams. Now that they they fired Jeff Fisher, I think that they have a chance. No disrespect to Jeff Fisher, but that team yeah, wasn't was very winning very much. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Well, also, um, we had Shea Patterson as our quarterback. That's Michigan true. I mean, I like Shea Patterson when he was at Michigan, but you were like, there's realize, better options. You realize that there's better the Michigan options. football team had better key, better pieces around Shea Patterson to make him good than the Michigan Panthers did. And you realize, yeah, this guy's bad at quarterback. Yeah, basically. But I think it was definitely, it'll be interesting to see how that goes with the USFL and the XFL now uh, with those two organizations kind of getting revamped. So we're going to have spring football and it's certainly going to be fun, but that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks for Parker for coming on the show. Certainly it was great to talk to her as well as break down everything as well. You can check out the show on whatever podcast platform you're on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon music, Apple podcast, wherever a little bit of everything where you listen to this show, as well as you can subscribe and follow us. I shouldn't say, not necessarily subscribe, but you can follow us. So at the MBSB on, uh, yeah, you could subscribe on YouTube, um, as well as Twitter and Instagram at the MBSP for all the great things that we've had uh, on there for content wise. You can check those out there, but thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and until next time, take care everybody.